0: Well, good morning, church. It's a joy to see all of you, whether in your cars or worshiping with us online at home. We've been going through 1 Corinthians as an entire church, but the sections we've been preaching through have been challenging because the tone of of Paul is corrective, right? He's correcting certain issues with the Corinthians. And as pastors, sometimes we struggle. I know I struggled this week because this is a season where I, I believe the church is, needs not so much correction, but a lot of hope. And so I was praying whether or not I should audible, and then we would be behind and everything. We'd have to catch up again, and then you'd have like these two-hour sermons come January. Uh, so we will continue 1 Corinthians, but before going into 1 Corinthians, I wanted to spend some time giving you some hope. Last night, <clears throat> I was reflecting, and I, and I thought if you've lost loved ones, whether it's from COVID or any other type of suffering, or maybe you haven't lost loved ones this season, but maybe you've suffered some loss, relational loss, job loss, some type of loss. Christmas time can be one of the hardest times of the year. Just even the isolation of feeling alone, not being able to see extended family, not being able to see some of your friends, especially if you're single, and not being able to connect because we're doing our best to try to be safer at home. And I think COVID-19 just amplifies the difficulty of this season. I wish this morning that I could point you to greener pastures. But our hope is one sovereign word. There was an encouraging article that came out earlier this week from Gallup entitled, Americans' Mental Health Ratings Sink to a New Low. Now that title doesn't sound hopeful, but here's the positive news. This article was based on a recent Gallup poll that reveals that despite the low rates of mental health, that the only, the only demographic whose mental health improved in 2020 are those who attended weekly, not bi-weekly, not monthly, but weekly religious services. Now, to be clear, Gallup is not a Christian organization, so this could be any type of religious service. Now, for those who attend weekly religious service, mental health, get this, has gone up plus four, positive four percentage points since 2019, every other demographic went down in mental health ratings. So you're talking about people who have professed to attend religious services weekly, and this report doesn't specify whether it's online or in person, but let's just say it could be both, that their mental health went up positive four points in the midst of 2020. In contrast, just one example, Those who seldom or never attend religious services at all, their mental health rating went down minus 13, negative 13 percentage points compared to 2019. Now this report is encouraging because the positive impact of weekly church attendance comes as no surprise to those of you who have been faithful to attend, whether online, weekly, watching the live stream or watching the post-recording or coming in-person outdoors. Either way, the research backs that up, that gathering under the Word of God, hearing the Word of God can protect you from mental illness. It can protect you from feelings of isolation or depression. And we know, once again, that church is much more than Sunday. But church and corporate worship is essential for spiritual flourishing. You see, what happens is, in a time where the world is full of bad news, it's essential that you hear the Word of God. Worshiping brings you outside of yourself. It connects you to a larger story and a greater community. Even if you're just worshiping online, when you log on online, you, maybe you don't see other people, but you know that you are gathering with other people. You know, in fact, that it's not just FCBC Walnut, but on Sundays all around the world, God's people are paused for a moment in the midst of chaos or COVID or whatever's going around 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 them. They're gathered for their moment before the throne of God and before the cross of Christ, singing songs. There are hymns that have been sung for centuries Sung during times of celebration, sung during time of crisis. There are saints that are now in heaven with you that have sang those very same hymns. There are modern hymns that are now being sung across the face of this earth by Christians, Christ proclaimers, proclaimers of the gospel, and that unites us and it reminds us that we are part of a greater story. We are part of a larger community. We are a part of a greater meta narrative. We are part of the gospel story and redemption. And exiting the vortex of our own feelings, of our own anxieties, of our own news feeds is exactly what we need to come out of ourselves and to be connected into the throne room of God. This doesn't mean that our trials disappear. This doesn't mean that reality sinks away. But it is a reminder, just even if for a few hours, that Emmanuel, God is with us. It is the great shepherd, the good shepherd, who is with us, who ushers in, to, ushers us into the spiritual realm even when we face the horrid realities of what we see going on in this world. So I do encourage you, we encourage you, in the safest ways and the wisest ways possible to stay connected with the church. Whether it's online or safely here outdoors, if you do join us outdoors, please, please, please maintain your physical distance. Please uh, keep your face mask on when you're uh, engaging with other people. And please, if you are in your small groups throughout the week, uh, we've sent out an email encouraging all of our small groups if all possible, at least for the next three weeks or so, to help out uh, by gathering virtually online. Okay, We're we're just asking that for the next three weeks or so that all community groups and small groups would do do it online, if all possible, and pray. We know our hope is in Christ, but the vaccines are coming. Uh, There is light at the end of the tunnel, and so we have hope. Let's support our medical community. Let's do the best that we can uh, to encourage those on the front line like Pastor Terrence prayed. And together we know that we're not alone. That Christ is with us, but churches all around the world are going through this together. We're going through this together. So it's with that that I want to transition us into 1 Corinthians during this time. Now I've entitled our sermon this morning, Servants and Stewards. Servants and Stewards. Subtitled, Ordinary Disciple Makers in the Age of Celebrities. Once again, Servants and Stewards, Ordinary Disciple Makers in the Age of Celebrities. Now last week I concluded our message with an application talking about celebrity culture, so I won't repeat that in terms of why we have celebrity culture and why that's actually natural in terms of how God designed a human race. It is the fall of man that created celebrity culture. But today I want to talk about this idea of what it means to be servants and stewards. Now in the subtitle I say disciple makers because in the context of Corinth, that's exactly what Paul, Apollos, and Cephas, that's what they were doing. They were making disciples. Now they were making disciples of Jesus Christ. They weren't making disciples of their own. But it's because of the very fact that they were so effectively used by God in making disciples that their disciples wrongly began to follow them. And rather than to identify themselves as followers of Christ, their disciples concluded that they were followers of Paul, Apollos, and Cephas. And they treated their favorite church leaders as a celebrity. Now, if you've been with us, we've repeated the context over and over again, so I won't do that again today. But basically, one thing that does need to be uh, repeated is the Corinthians were importing secular standards to judge which Christian leaders they wanted to follow. And I need to say that because nowhere in the New Testament does it say that you shouldn't have good judgment or that you shouldn't have discernment, or that you shouldn't hold Christian leaders or yourselves accountable. This is not teaching that we shouldn't exercise accountability. In fact, 1 Timothy and Titus talk about the qualifications for Christian leaders. These are qualifications not just for pastors and deacons, but these are qualifications that are supposed to be exemplified and practiced by every Christ follower. So this passage, just to be clear, is not saying that you shouldn't exercise good judgment on people. It's saying that we shouldn't be prematurely judgmental. It's saying that we shouldn't be critical and judgment, and, and we shouldn't uh, give into a spirit of judgmentalism. And that's exactly what the Corinthians were doing because they were, they were not using the standards of Scripture to judge their leaders. They were determining the value of their leaders based on secular standards. So that's where we're going to pick up today. So if you have God's Word, please take it and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 5 this morning. Now, this passage is immediately applied to pastors and church leaders. But I like the word disciple-maker, and that's why I say that the question that Paul is answering is how we ought to view disciple-makers. And that extends that application to all of you. So if you are a servant of Jesus Christ in any way, this applies to you, but yes, yes, this applies in the most weightiest of ways to pastors and deacons. Deacons, the word deacon, right, is means servants. That's not the word used here in this passage, but the word deacon means servant, and we know that pastors are to be shepherds and servants. Now let's look at what Paul says. Point number one this morning is how should we view fellow disciple makers? Point number one, as servants of Christ. And stewards of the gospel. We must view fellow disciple makers and pastors and leaders as servants of Christ and stewards of the gospel. Here's what it says in verse 1 This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So, first is servants of Christ. In verse 1, Paul says we should regard disciple makers as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God whether they're pastors, deacons, or church members. Now, interestingly, the word Paul used for servant is not doulos. It's not doulos. Doulos is the word that means bondservant, or in the New Testament context, slave. And that's not the term used here. Instead, Paul uses the word that was originally described, was originally uh used to describe the lowliest of slaves. In fact, the word hooperatus was used originally to describe certain servants on an ancient ship. Now these servants would, would be, they would have their, their hands or their arms chained to an oar and they would row an oar on the lowest part of the ship. And usually it would be to the drum, pe- drum beat of their master. So their master or taskmaster would beat a drum and they would row the oar. And that would be the lowest of slaves on the ancient ships. Now by the time Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, this term in the Greek was used just to describe the lowest ranked slave or servant in any home or any business this would be your lowest servant so there were different levels of servants there was the obviously there were the stewards that oversaw the servants There were managers and middle management of household slaves and servants but the lowliest this was the word used and this is just a humbling reminder of how servants of christ need to view ourselves and every disciple maker needs to view ourselves i mean if you're a christian if you profess to be A a believer in Jesus Christ, then the great commission applies to you as well. And that means that you are a disciple maker. That means you receive your commission from the Lord. The word Lord, you, you would say Lord, you know, and in ancient times, you would refer to a master as your Lord. Now, for us, we have a really good master, not a not this horrible slave master, but a master who he himself became a servant for us. Our master is Jesus Christ. So if you serve the master, Jesus Christ, then you yourselves view yourselves as a servant. Now this is very convicting for me personally, and it should be very convicting for you, whether you're a pastor or not. For example, as I stand up here, as I stand up here, I need to speak with confidence. I, I can't get up here and just mumble and be unclear. And I can't just keep apologizing. Like, you know, Jesus resurrected from the dead. He's our Lord. But, but I'm sorry if this offends you. I'm really sorry. You know, I can't do that. right? I need to speak with confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I need to preach with boldness in Christ. But it's a fine line. And I need to always be reminded that, Hanley, you are to see yourself as the lowest of slaves, even though you are not. Now, now I, I love you all. You guys treat us as pastors so well. Uh, you don't treat us and talk to us like lowly servants. But we need to be reminded, that is the danger. Uh, I will never be a celebrity pastor, but that's the danger uh, of certain celebrity pastors, right? Uh, is that at some point, they began as a servant. And it does get to you uh, when, when everybody around you, you kind of honors you. Everybody around you honors you, gives you encouragement. Uh, and, and yes, it, you know, those celebrity pastors, they carry a heavy weight because when they, when they do well, people praise them. Uh, but when they, when they sin or when they say something that's uh, not popular or, or, or uh, offends people, people go after them. And even the secular media goes after them, and, and so it, there is a pressure that constantly each week they need to perform. Now there are there are some very good and faithful pastors out there who they don't want to be celebrities, but people have elevated them to celebrity status because they're just that effective and they're that that good. So so we understand. Now you exit the church and, and you look at yes, in the church we we know there's uh, problems in certain churches certain denominations but you exit the church and you see how public servants and, and I'm gonna you know give the benefit of the doubt that if someone wants to be a public servant at some point in their life they really want to serve people but but I know personally uh, that your heart always needs to be checked because once you get a little bit of power and then you get more power then there's something called privilege. And what we've seen, and I'm not criticizing anybody specifically, I'm not, uh, but what, what we've seen in the political world is that sometimes power corrupts, and power can become hypo- hypocrisy uh, when you begin to tell everybody that they need to do certain things, but because of your position, you can get away with just not doing that, not doing those things yourself, right? And we see that in the United States. With certain politicians. And so, even pastors, then you go back into the church, pastors, deacons, lay leaders, volunteer servants who started off well. There are certain times where the flesh can be tempted. It's such a fine line. And that's why there's a constant reminder that we can't just view ourselves as public servants, like politicians. We actually need to view ourselves as slaves as the lowliest of slaves. And I'm reminded, even last night, as I put on some music, uh, I put on some Christian music, some praise songs, some hymns, and and I began to reflect, and I began to think, how do I do the introduction? And and I began to think, who are the people who are hurting? Who are the people who who need to be uplifted? Who are the people uh, who need to be served? How can these messages that we preach, even the announcements and the prayers serve to uplift those who are going through the hardest of times among us? How can we best serve? And and I think it's a constant reminder. So I want to encourage you that the more status that you get, uh, if you ever become an officer if you ever become a deacon, if you, we, you need to see yourself that that's, you're actually lowering yourself more and more. The higher the stage, you need to look at that as the lower you got to go. Because the temptation is so real. I am so thankful. I am so thankful for the pastors above me. And I'm so thankful that they've always been gracious with me. I'm so thankful that I've always had people to look up to and learn from. And sometimes we are reminded that God, He brings you down. He teaches you. He has you go through some trials and heartache before he brings you up, because he wants his leaders to serve with a limp. there was a there was a professor of preaching, one of my favorite, I never got to sit under him directly. Uh, But Pastor Alex Montoya, and he used to teach his students. And I would go to conferences and sit in these seminars that he would teach. and, And he would say, you could tell the seminary students from the pastors. He said, the seminary students would jump into the pulpits. They would run around and they would have a lot of energy. And the pastors were the ones limping around and limping into the pulpit because they were all beat up for ministry. And it's so true that that the senior pastors, the leaders, sometimes when God, by the time God elevates you, you're so beat up. You're so beat up so that you'll be reminded, you'll be reminded that you are to be a slave. So that's the first thing for all of us, not just pastors and leaders, but every servant of Christ. We need to remember that we are to be the lowliest of slaves. Now, there's a balance between being lowly and the authority that's entrusted to us. Being lowly doesn't mean to have low self-esteem. In fact, being lowly, when you have a good master, being a servant is a privilege. There are other places in the Bible where it talks about us being ambassadors of Christ. There are places where where we are told that we are uh, to be members of God's kingdom. We are kingdom personnel, if you will. And in this passage, there is a very honorary word, and that's the word stewards. Notice in verse 1, it says that we are all stewards of the mysteries of God. The word used for steward is literally house manager, house manager. Now, think of yourself then as someone who is a house manager of a large estate, And when you translate that into our society today, this would be the manager of a business or an organization. Uh, There were many in the Roman society who served as these managers of of huge estates or someone's finances. You would be a steward. Someone would entrust you with, with something. Now, I want to use an illustration from Mark Dever. Mark Dever in one of his sermons he explains this idea of a steward as a messenger. I really appreciate the mailman and Mark Dever uses this example of a mailman. The mailman doesn't write the mail for you. He doesn't write your letters. He simply delivers the mail. He faithfully, he or she, delivers that mail faithfully. That's their job is just to deliver the letters that you've written and that you sent out, and to make sure that that gets in the right hand. And that's how we view ourselves as stewards. We've been entrusted with the Word of God. We've been entrusted with the gospel, and the Great Commission is given to us to deliver that message and to help people understand that message. We are to take that message and to bring it to whom the Lord leads us to. We are like the mailman or the mailwoman. We are not the person who wrote the letters. We are not the people who write the scriptures. In the same way, we are stewards of the mysteries of God. And the mysteries of God refers to the gospel. It was a mystery from from the beginning of time that God would save his people through the Jewish Messiah. That the Messiah would actually be a man that happens to be 100% God. And that that Messiah would not only save Israel, but would saved the Gentiles as well. Jesus is the Messiah to Jews and Gentiles. That was a mystery hidden and now revealed in the time of the New Testament. That's the gospel. And so we are stewards, entrusted with the message of the gospel. This is a high calling, all of us. This is something that is, that is a critical uh, matter of importance that's been placed into our hands. And so Jesus... Trust us. But that also reminds us then of what our call is. Pastors, I know there's some listening. I know there's interns here. Pastors, we're not just entrusted with the Word of God. That is the most important thing we are entrusted with. We are entrusted to feed and deliver the Word of God to God's people. But second, we're also entrusted with a people. You know, I, I wasn't, uh, maybe, I think it was 2011-2011, it wasn't that long ago, I was just a little bit over 30 years old when Pastor Jackson entrusted me uh, with more than just the youth ministry and said, okay, I, I want you to pray about being an English pastor. Well, what does that mean? Right then, he's entrusting me with regular preaching and teaching I didn't have. I was barely married, didn't have any children, not much life experience. And I couldn't believe the weight. And it, it was scary, and I'm still scared a lot of times. And he's entrusting me after so many years being the founding pastor with the souls, with the task of shepherding souls. Pastor Albert continues to entrust the pastoral staff. right? But we know this all comes down from Jesus Christ. Deacons are entrusted with caring for you, we test their character. These are faithful men who have been tested, trustworthy. Then there are officers, and there are Sunday school teachers, and all the volunteers, right? And, and you go down, and no one's better than anyone else. We play a different role. We are entrusted with the Word of God, and we are entrusted with souls to shepherd and care for. If you're a small group leader, you've been entrusted, or community group leader, you've been entrusted with souls. I am reminded of how tender souls are. You know, there are times where I know I can get up here, and I can choose my tone. Sometimes I get lost, and I just get really passionate. And you can say things, and and there are people who are physically strong, and there are people who are very uh, powerful in society, but you know that emotions are tender. That's why people can stress out and get depressed, even the most powerful, most powerful people. You know emotions are tender when people lose a loved one, when, when people are, are in the hospital facing surgery. And when you go see them, when you pray for them, when you preach God's word, when you share God's word, there is a power that you need to remember that you cannot use the Word of God. You cannot use Christian teaching. And so small group leaders or just regular members, as you speak to each other, you can't crush people. You need to remember that the Word of God is a sword. But there is a time where the Word of God needs to be a sword, and there's a time where it needs to be the shepherd's staff. There's a time where you need to be gentle, gentle. And lowly like Christ. There's a book by Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly. I commend it to you to go ahead and read it. Go get that book and read it and you will see the tender nature of Jesus Christ. The same Jesus who turned the tables and cleared the temple, rebuking the Jewish religious leaders, is the same good shepherd who wept when his heart broke because he saw Jerusalem as people, as sheep without a shepherd. And so that is how we need to see ourselves as servants of Christ, stewards of the mysteries of God, stewards of souls of people. We must be tender. And that's how we understand the role of how we ought to view our leaders. And so you compare that to celebrity culture and it's so very different. It's so very different right from this from the celebrity culture where leaders become celebrities. We have to be careful. That's how we must view our disciple makers. And if you view your leaders in that way, then you're not going to say, I am a follower of Paul, Apollos or Cephas. You're simply going to look to these lowly servants and hopefully, when you see them, hopefully you see an imperfect picture of Jesus Christ and hopefully they would point you to Christ. That's point number one. Point number two, how should we view fellow disciple makers as servants who will be judged by Christ? As servants who will be judged by Christ. Let me read to you verses three to five. Verses three to five. This is what Paul says. He says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Now, I, I want to pause and I want you to hear Paul's heart. Okay, because it should not be, be read in this way, okay? It shouldn't be read like this. It's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. I don't care what you think of me. That, that's not what he's saying, okay? He is saying, it is, but with me, I've been insulted. I've been misunderstood. You know that I love you. I wish I could be there with you. I've been misrepresented at times. I can't do anything but write boldly with my pen. But in my isolation, whether I'm in prison, in chains, persecuted, or on the run, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court, whether it's the court of Caesar, whether it's the court of the Judaizers who are after me, whether it's false teachers who falsely accuse me, whether it's people in Corinth that are tearing me down. With me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself because I don't trust my, myself. Verse 4, For I am, a, I am not aware of anything against myself, I've checked my heart. I've checked my conscience. I know that I've sinned. I know that I'm not perfect. But I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am, not, I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Verse 5, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then at that time, each one will receive his commendation from God. So I've read it to you with a little bit of context of what Paul is going through. Paul's not saying that pastors shouldn't be examined, like I mentioned. Paul's not saying that pastors shouldn't be kept accountable. What he's saying in this context is that the Corinthians were judging Paul based on his oratory skill and rhetorical ability. This was the custom in the secular world. You would listen to a speaker or preacher, or leader, and you would judge them based off of their ability to speak and their charisma or their status of honor in society. And so Paul's saying, not so much that you shouldn't pass good judgment on him, but that you shouldn't use secular standards to judge the servants of Christ. And in verse 3 to 5, Paul's basically saying it's very little for him to be judged based on secular standards, because he's, he knows that he's held in to a higher accountability, a higher court. He needs to stand before Christ every single day in his conscience. He needs to eventually go before Christ, because Christ is the one who entrusted him with the mission. And he's saying they shouldn't pass premature judgment on him. Now, what about accountability then? What about accountability? I think accountability is something that is applied to every Christ follower. All of us as Christians, especially in our day today, we live within a world where it's actually a wide arena, a wide arena of human opinion. In fact, we, we are in a Yelp society. Everybody reviews everything. You can destroy a business through Yelp reviews. We live in social media. Every person with a keyboard or touchpad is an expert or a critic or an encourager. Human opinion can be very loud. And Paul stands with a clear conscience in his arena of human opinion in Corinth. And he has to bring his conscience before God and man. Yet, something that Paul recognizes is that accountability is important. But he also understands that he and all of us are prone to self-deception. And that's why he says, I don't even judge myself. Now, we know that small groups and community groups are supposed to be for accountability. But if you've been in the game for long enough, you know how you can share your sins without being fully honest. You know that. And so we have to be very careful to consider what it means to have accountability and at the same time, ooh, it's windy, (laughs) at the same time, to battle against Self deception. We can all talk ourselves into justifying sinful attitudes and behaviors, and that's what Paul means when he says, I don't even judge myself. What Paul's saying, he's not saying we shouldn't practice self examination. We all must practice self examination daily. What he's saying is that he doesn't trust himself fully. Because he knows the wisdom of Proverbs 21.2. Proverbs 21.2 says, Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. And this is exactly why you can have people who started off with the heart of a servant turn into a hypocritical celebrity. Now, not every celebrity is evil and sinful and hypocritical. But you get my point is that the heart can harden itself, that power can corrupt, that authority, that a certain platform and stage can get to your head. I'm well aware of that. I'm well aware of that when I sit in a meeting and share an idea, and if it's challenged, and I think, why can't they just listen to me? <laughs> why can't they just agree with me? because they're not supposed to. They're supposed to challenge your idea. They're supposed to help you see where things can be better. And sometimes even if they're wrong, and even if eventually they will say, yeah, we should have went that way, that's part of being a servant. That's part of learning that you're not a dictator. You don't dictate. You serve, and you lead, and you train. It was Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones who said, quote, you will never make yourself feel that you are a sinner because there is a mechanism in you as a result of sin that will always be defending you against every accusation. We, all on, we are all on very good terms with ourselves. And we can always put up a good case for ourselves. Even if we try to make ourselves feel that we are sinners, we will never do it. There's only one way to know that we're sinners, and that is to have some dim, glimmering conception of God, end quote. And what Lloyd-Jones is saying is so true, that we can't objectively judge ourselves because we will always seek to defend ourselves. We love ourselves. And that's what Paul's saying. I don't even judge myself. I don't even judge myself, but I go before the Lord. And... Before going before the Lord, he checks himself and he's like, to the best of my ability, I don't think that I, I have anything to be ashamed of before you. And it, it is in that context that I can say, please don't prematurely judge me. That's what Paul's saying. right? And if you're a genuine believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit is someone that you can't hide from. He lives within your heart. He works on your conscience, and he presses against you. And eventually, if you're a genuine believer, the Holy Spirit begins to work. And you begin to get convicted when you do wrong, or when you sin against him, or when you're acting in a manner that's unChrist-like. And over time, that conviction turns into action, and he changes you. Your behavior is changed, not externally. It's internally, and that that impacts external behavior. You know how it is, how sometimes you can go through the motions, or anybody in this world can do what's right on the outside out of fear of consequence. People can act and put on their greatest behavior, but internally, there can be evil thoughts and evil desires. What the Spirit does is the opposite. He changes your heart so then what flows out of you becomes behavior that reflects the work that Jesus is continually doing in your heart. And sometimes it's, it's crippling from the church when you see servant leaders fall. And then you see, how did it get that far? Well, eventually the Spirit of God presses and presses and presses. And, and if someone's a believer, then that work will be done and eventually the spirit will cause them to grow or somehow it gets revealed. Because what it says that if it doesn't get revealed on the day of judgment, it gets revealed that, that light and darkness don't mix. Eventually, if you're trying to hold on to God's word, which is, the, which is conveys light, if you're trying to hold on to the word of God, if you're trying to use the word of God to lead and shepherd people, Eventually, what you're holding is more powerful than you. It will expose you if you have false motives or if you have a secret life. The Word of God will take over. Remember, stewards, not the author. We are the stewards. We are the people who deliver the message. The message is greater than us. And when we deliver the message, sometimes there will be people who criticize the message. They criticize us. And, and in those moments, we need to be reminded that it is the Lord who sent us. That we are simply the stewards. We're simply delivering the message of God. But in the same way, if we don't align our lives, not just pastors, but any Christian, if you don't, if your life does not align with the word of God, which is light, then that light will overcome. And that light will separate light from darkness. And it will be evident to the world that you're actually not saved or that you've fallen. And yes, the Lord can bring you around. He can bring you to repentance. So every single time there's a celebrity pastor that falls because of sexual immorality or corruption, the first thought in my, my mind is not, oh, I'm so much better But that, Jesus, that could be me. Please, Lord, please, Lord, keep me humble. Please, Lord, crush me if you need to. Remind me. Remind us all that power can corrupt. Because verse 5 says, He will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Now, this is eschatological. This is talking about the future. It says, says when he comes, when the Lord comes, he will bring to light the things now hidden in the darkness. He will disclose, future tense, right? He will. But sometimes we've seen that the Lord, to save his church, to save his people, he starts revealing darkness now. And so sometimes when when you see and hear about Christian leaders falling into sin... Don't so much be discouraged, but encourage that God is exposing darkness now to save people. To say, maybe I was deceived in following a celebrity. I shouldn't be following a celebrity because the celebrity has fallen. I should be following Christ. So that even if pastors fall, that my Savior has not fallen. My Savior has risen. Indeed, and it is my Savior and Lord whom I follow and boast in. Now, in our current world of excess human opinion, I believe the key to maintaining sanity and mental health is actually put into this passage. Now, I understand we live in a world of instant gratification. Now, I'm just at the point of premillennial, and I've mentioned both, both in my eschatology and my age. I'm not fully Gen X, I'm not Millennial. You know, my first experience of internet was dial-up where you get the free AOL CD. You do the dial-up internet, rented video tapes from uh, VHS tapes from Blockbuster Video. We had cassette tapes, you rewind it with a pencil sometimes. And so I know what it's like to call someone and not be able to get through because beep, 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 the phone's busy. I know what it's like to send mail out and not get any response. I know what it's like to have to go to a bookstore to look something up. I know what it's like to have to go to the movie theater and watch a movie or wait for the VHS to come out. We live in a very different world. Everything is instant. And so... When you hear pastors and preachers and disciple makers share about, don't worry about what people think of you right now, don't worry about the comments and the likes or dislikes, wait until eternity where you will be vindicated by the Lord, that just doesn't hit for this current generation. You give the amen, but in your heart it doesn't matter because you ever since you were born or you're a child, you're conditioned To have instant gratification, instant response, instant praise, or instant criticism. And that's what I meant. We live in this Yelp and review and excess of human opinion culture. But the key to mental sanity is actually being able to do something in your mind, in your heart, which is to look into the future and to. Rest your soul on God in terms of what's going to happen, not now, but what he thinks of you and what's going to be revealed and made clear on the day when he returns or the day you go before him. And it's as simple as this. You want to say something. You want to write something. You want to do something. And you think in your mind, I wonder how so-and-so is going to receive me. I wonder what people are going to think about my work or my words. I wonder how people are going to respond to me if I'm a Christian, if I say I'm a Christian or if I have these Christian values or I care so much about what people have to say about me, what they think about me or how they review me. And it's just this mental switch called WAIT, wait, On the Lord. And that might mean waiting until the day of the Lord. But it's a mental light switch that simply says, you close your eyes, forget about what people think, and you enter into a divine throne room. In this room, there is God sitting on a heavenly throne. Around him are angels terrifying beings to us, but to God, they are his servants. All day long, they cry, holy, holy, holy. This God is so immense, so huge. It is the God of Isaiah 6. It is the God of Revelation chapter 4 and 5. And you know the face of this God in the person of Jesus Christ. You are covering your face you are on your knees, you're bowing because you're terrified because he's 100% holy. Yet, one like a lamb comes to you and says, draw near to the throne of grace, draw near. Child, what is your request? That's Christ, your Savior. Covered by his blood, the Spirit of God fills you with confidence to draw near. The Spirit of God sends you back out. Spirit of God is with you. Enter that divine throne room. What happens in that divine throne room is not, okay, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I'm going to say whatever I want. I can offend people left and right because God's my judge. Only God can judge me. No, that's Tupac. That's not scripture. It's not a only God can judge me. When you go into that throne room, what happens is humility, brokenness, gentleness, love. But when you go out, there's a different type of confidence. A confidence where you are trembling because you've just been in the presence of the King. And you go out as an ambassador And in that moment, it does not matter how people judge you based on worldly standards when you know that your conscience is clear because you've been examined by God. Can you do that? If you can do that exercise, it will help your mental health, it will help your emotional health and it's not instant it's not this instant gratification from the world it is knowing that you've gone before the lord and so in that context that's what that's what paul is saying and let me read the passage to you once again when he says starting in verse 4 for i am not aware of anything against myself but i am not i am not thereby acquitted It is the Lord who judges me. He goes before that judge every single day. Therefore, don't pronounce judgment before the time before this Lord is going to come. This Lord that I've just fellowshiped with, he's going to come. And he will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. And he will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then at that time, this God Then each one of you will receive his commendation, whether it's praise or whether it's judgment. It is this God who authorizes my pen, Paul says, to write this letter to you. So the big idea this morning is that Christ will call every disciple maker to account for the character of our service and faithfulness of our stewardship. Christ will call every disciple-maker to account for the character of our service and the faithfulness of our stewardship. I will close with two application points. One a little bit humorous, but I'm so guilty of. Jesus calls all of us to be disciple-makers, not celebrities. And we are to make disciples who celebrate Christ. But this begins with a proper view of Christian leaders. And as I say this, please don't start treating me like trash. (laughs) But um, I am guilty of being a fanboy of certain pastors. I would go, for the longest time, I would go to these large conferences where my favorite expository conservative preachers would preach. Now, they don't, they don't say they're celebrities. I would treat them like celebrities. And I would try to sit in the front like a fanboy at a concert. And as soon as that preacher was done, I would run up. I, I don't get to talk to them. They're not my pastor. I don't get to shepherd, like have a conversation. I don't even know them. And I would say, can you take a picture with me? Can you sign my Bible? <laughs> sign the Bible? The Bible is written by God. Sign my Bible? And, and, and I would take a picture, and the reason I wanted that picture was to put that on my Facebook profile. And most of you know that for about a decade, I had the same profile picture with my favorite conservative solid preacher. One of my favorite preachers. I, I, I had, it's me and him. I've never talked to him. In that car, I didn't even converse with him when I took that picture. I've never even been in his church because it's out of state. Never been in his church. But what I wanted to say was, look at me. Number one, I'm conservative. Because of, I'm, I wanted people to know something about me. Number two, I'm reformed. Number three, I'm a Calvinist, right? I mean, I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but I'm, sorry, I'm a Calvinist because this guy is. I was wearing my John Calvin t-shirt in the picture. So here I am. John Calvin t-shirt next to my favorite Calvinist reformed preacher. And I wanted everybody to see. I got a picture with him. And I was such a fanboy. And I would walk around. And I was starstruck at these conferences. I would wait in the hallway. And as they walked by, sometimes security ushering them, I'd be like, oh, my goodness, look who it is. It's so-and-so. Look who it is. Look who it is. And I would do the, (laughs) let me get a picture like this. You know, and it's like, I would get these pictures. One time I was at the airport. I was leaving a big conference, I was at the airport. And I, I saw this guy. And I just kinda like, he's going through security. I think the security was like, what are you doing? And this was before, you know, like maybe, I don't know, seven years ago. And I just went up and I said, can I get a picture with you? And he's like, what? But he smiled and got a picture with him. That's how I was. And about a couple years ago, I decided to change my profile picture because I was convicted. None of these pastors were telling me or telling anyone, follow them. It was me that was saying, I follow this guy. Because I wanted to advertise myself with a certain brand of Christianity. And so I stopped doing that. But here's what's humbling. Here's what's humbling. There are certain pastors that I really look up to. They're expository preachers. They're famous to everybody who likes them except for the people in their church. And the common denominator among these few pastors is is that they've been with their church 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Only one guy has been maybe just 50 years, but 20, 30, 40 years. And when you talk to their church members, at least those who know them, they just refer to them as pastor so-and-so. Because if, you've, if you serve people long enough, you won't be a celebrity to them. They will know your strengths. They will know your weaknesses. They will see you simply as their pastor, not a superstar. And so the second application, the first application is follow Christ. If you want to follow these celebrity pastors, it's okay to be thankful for how God uses them, but remember that the goals, when you see them, they ought to point you to Christ. Not to identify with certain celebrity pastors just because they've blessed you so much, but instead look to the Christ whom they are pointing you towards. But number two, along these lines, One way to guard against being a celebrity, and this is not just for pastors but for all of you, is to find a church and stick with that church as long as you're able to. I know some of you have to move because of work or because of school, but stay with that church for as long as you can. Because as you begin to serve in that church and you serve more and more, people will know you and after 20 years, they will Love you when you're awesome. They will criticize you, hopefully lovingly, when you're wrong. And what you want from them is not for them to celebrate you and to say how great you are. Instead, what you want them to be able to look to you and say is that that person is a is a trustworthy representative of Jesus Christ. Just think about our own church. For those, there are certain people in our church who have been serving. Volunteers serving 10, 20, 30 years, and you don't think of them as superstars. You simply refer to them as that's auntie so-and-so, that's uncle so-and-so, that's young adult so-and-so, that's student leader so-and-so. He or she, they're trustworthy. We've observed their life, we've observed their family, We've observed them raise their kids. We've seen them go through struggle. We've been to funerals. We've been to birthday parties. We've been to weddings. It's been decades. And they're putting on a show for you, actually. But that's not the celebrity. That is life. And when you see these faithful saints, you're being discipled. And we are all called to be disciple-makers. These are the disciple-makers. The ordinary disciple-makers in the age of celebrities, that's actually who you run to. Because when you're going through hard times and crisis, you can't text or call up your celebrity pastor. You will end up calling your group leaders, your shepherd, your pastor, your aunties, your uncles. Those are the ordinary heroes whom Jesus has entrusted with not just the word of God, but your souls. I love you, and we love you more than you know. Let me pray. Father, we are grateful for this church, both those here in our presence and those at home online. Father, we know that you are a good God. We know that you give us the example of a servant and steward in Jesus Christ and in the new testament apostles father i pray lord that you would continue to build up our church as a church of many servants and many stewards help us lord especially to shepherd and to guide your people during this time of chaos and crisis in jesus name we pray amen